What's up, everyone? This is the Better Late Than Never edition of Kicking Out at Two. I'm your host, Dave Rosenluth. Thank you also very much for tuning in this week. And uh, you're wondering why I'm saying it's better late than never because it's Thursday. Normally, I drop the show on Wednesdays, but uh, full disclosure. Sometimes real life gets in the way. Sometimes things happen. Scheduling conflicts. We had a holiday weekend. I had some family in town, some friends in town. Um, so, uh, unfortunately, I couldn't um, do our Ricky Steamboat, Ric Flair, uh, Wrestle War 89 main event watch party. Um, another reason why I couldn't do it was because uh, originally Kobe Knight and I from the Retromania Pro Wrestling Podcast Network, who I also do a show with called Marking Out the Day's Weekend Warriors, which you can find over at the Retromania Pro Wrestling Podcast Network, we originally recorded that episode of the Steamboat Flare Wrestle War 89 main event. And uh, like an idiot, because I'm not very good with technology, I, uh, I, I, I thought I sent the audio over to him so that he could edit it, because he's a master when it comes to that sort of stuff and uh i i apparently i didn't and then i lost the file because uh, we shared the file on the on the google drive so uh um and then you know we tried to redo it again some circumstances beyond our control prevented that and then bing bang boom out of nowhere um just didn't work out so i thought you know with my time um, the limited time I've had these last few days, this last week or so with the holiday and people um, in town visiting, I thought, you know, why don't we, well, this, this lends an opportunity for me to kind of give you guys something a little bit different for just this week only um, as we deviate from the norm, deviate from the script, if you will. Uh, normally we cover um, the 80s, 90s and early 2000s of uh, the, the history of professional wrestling, the nostalgia, because I'm a big nostalgia guy. And so... Um, I thought, why don't we cover some of the stuff that has taken place in recent memory, some current event stuff. Um, you know, AEW just took uh, just uh, presented Double or Nothing. Uh, Money in the Bank was about a week and a half ago. I was at that show in my hometown of Hartford, Connecticut. NXT TakeOver is taking place in Connecticut. Um, in Bridgeport this weekend, I'll be at that show. Looking forward to that. So I thought, why don't I just kind of recap and preview some of the stuff that's going on, talk about some of the goings-on current day in professional wrestling, and, uh, you know, take it from there. So, um, yeah, uh, hopefully within the next... Uh, the next few weeks or so, Kobe and I are going to uh, get together and we're going to redo that Ric Flair, Ricky Steamboat, Wrestle War 89 main event watch party that you guys all voted for in the poll. Because I appreciate the fact that you guys took the time to participate in the polls. Um, that meant a lot to me for a new podcast um, that's you know, trying to grow and build a following. It's appreciated by me that you guys are uh, you know participating in the polls and you have some sort of interest in what kind of uh kind of content we're going to be putting out so you know i'm going to deliver you guys voted for i'm delivering uh so in the next few weeks we'll probably drop it as a bonus show maybe uh, flare steamboat from wrestle war 89 watch party um celebrating the 30th anniversary of the finale of that classic 1989 trilogy of matches between rick flair and ricky the dragon steamboat so be on the lookout for that once again i apologize just you know all kinds of stuff taking place in these last few weeks um you know some stuff beyond our control real life um and you know so couldn't get to it but you know i thought you know why not just do something a little different this week and you know let, let me know what you think and by and and you can let me know by hitting us up on social media facebook.com forward slash kicking out at two 
hit the like button if you haven't already tell a friend to hit the like button and let us know what you think of this you know this little format change for this week's show as we cover some of the more current event stuff um, I swore when I started this podcast I wasn't going to do that. I did. I swore. I said I, I said I will not cover the current day stuff because everybody that does a podcast covers the current day wrestling and all it is is a bitch and moan fest about what they don't like, what they need to do, what's better, what's not good, and why wrestling sucks. And I don't want to do that. I wanted to keep it positive. So hopefully I can still keep the positivity um, when it comes to this week's show. Uh, like I said, covering Money in the Bank. We're going to recap AEW's Double or Nothing. The John Moxley interview on Talk is Jericho. That's been a, that's been the big talk this this past week. Excuse me, and you know previewing NXT Takeover and you know anything else that just kind of pops out of my head. You know who knows, but um, yeah, please by all means let us know on Facebook as well as our Twitter. Our handles at Kicking Out Two K I C K N O U T and the number two. You could also find this show. You can find the links to this show at soundcloud.com. You can find the links over on our Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash kicking out of two. You could also find the link on Twitter, a handle at kicking out two, just like I said previously. But the real home for kicking out at two is a part of the Retromania Pro Wrestling Podcast Network with my man Kobe Nida over on Podbean. You can search for it over there in the Retromania channel, network, whatever you want to call it. Um, you can also find our show on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, Spreaker, and any other podcast platform available. Pretty soon, kicking out it too, as well as all the shows from Retro from the Retromania Pro Wrestling Podcast Network are going to be on YouTube. We're going to get a YouTube channel up, so in the very near future, you can be able to find this show and all the other shows from the Retromania Pro Wrestling Podcast Network over on YouTube. And uh, before we get into um, this week's multiple subjects. Uh, I wanted to thank you all for um, your overwhelming response to the Owen Hart episode from last week. Um, had a, a, a good amount of downloads over at SoundCloud as well as the uh, the, the the Podbean feed for the Retromania Pro Wrestling Podcast Network. Um, I, I greatly appreciate it. I don't normally toot my own horn when it comes to these shows, okay? I'm just a fan that does these podcasts. I enjoy talking wrestling. It's a labor of love. Um, could it grow into something bigger? I think there's a possibility of it someday. Um, you know, and if it happens, that's great. I'm, I'm, I'm all for the ride. But if it doesn't, then, uh, you know, I'll still keep doing it because I love to do it. Um, because I'm just a fan at the end of the day. I'm nobody special. I'm just a wrestling fan with an opinion. Um, so, uh, you know, not to go off on a tangent, but, um, you know, your, uh, your, your response to the show, um, you know, last week, greatly appreciated. Um, I wanted to be able to give you guys a honest, raw fan opinion of, you know, the, 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 the life and the career of Owen Hart as we remember it, you know, not as someone who was in the business that worked with him or had, uh, interactions with him, like, you know, Conrad and Bruce do on something to wrestle or, Conrad and Eric do on 80 Eric Bischoff do on 83 weeks I wanted to just give you a fan account because this is at the end of the day a fans podcast you know fan accounts growing up as a wrestling fan um and I wanted to put a positive spin on it because I know there's been a lot of podcasts out there um especially with his the anniversary of his passing a big anniversary being the 20th um that you know they were gonna that they had focused on um, the controversy surrounding his passing with the fall and the accident and the aftermath with the family, you know, tied up in, uh, you know, legal, uh, 
a legal battle with, uh, with, with Vince McMahon and the WWF. I didn't want to do all that because I didn't think that was fair to him. And I wanted to remember the, the, the positive things about the late, great Owen Hart. So um, I just want to thank you all once again for you know taking the time to listen. Um, like I said, I normally don't toot my own horn, but I'm really proud of that one. I really am. Um, my brother Justin, big heart family, Mark, big Bret Hart, Mark, Owen Hart, Mark. And, uh, you know, I couldn't have done it without him um, and his contributions to this podcast um, overall, but in particular for this show, it's very much appreciated. So, uh, you know, thank you, Justin, and thank you all for checking it out, tuning, tuning in. If you haven't heard it already, you can check it out over in the archives at SoundCloud.com. Um, Owen Hart, Paying Homage to the King of Hearts is the title of it. Uh, you can also find it over at the Retromania Pro Wrestling Podcast Network um, over on Podbean over there. Um, yeah, so just, you know, check it out and uh, let me know what you think. And uh, it's very much appreciated. And with that being said, let's get into the the, the main topics at hand. Um, normally, like I told you at the beginning of the show, it's a nostalgia show. It's all about the history of pro wrestling. I'm a big history buff when it comes to wrestling. Big in the nostalgia. Uh, but this week I thought, let's take a, let's, let's take a, let's take a walk down a different road um, and talk about the current stuff and what's been going on. Um, and maybe I'll do this from time to time if you guys are interested, if you guys like it. But um, I thought, you know, with everything that's been taking place lately, that, you know, maybe maybe I should address it. Maybe I should discuss it. And, by the way, full disclosure, if you haven't heard by now in the 9 minutes and 39 seconds that this podcast is, uh, ha- has been going on, um, I'm going to do this one solo. I'm going to fly solo. And I'm going to, uh, you know, try and do the best I can with it because of my schedule, my crazy schedule this week. I couldn't really uh, make time to uh, get a co-host to sit down and talk to me about this stuff and, you know, obviously to do the Flair and Steamboat Watch Party. But I want to keep a consistent schedule each and every week for all you guys that are loyal listeners because I greatly appreciate it. So that being said, I've rambled on enough. Let's talk about what we came to talk about. Um, Let's start with Money in the Bank, uh, May 19th, which is about a week and a half ago. I was in Hartford, Connecticut, where, where the event was held. I went with my buddy Dennis and my brother Daryl. Um, it was the first time in 14 or 15 years that WWE uh, hosted a pay-per-view in that building in that city. We covered a special occasion here on this show and kicking out at two of the uh, Vengeance 2004 watch party, the last time Hartford hosted a pay-per-view before Money in the Bank. So um, you guys can check that out in the archives over at SoundCloud.com. Check out our social media on Facebook and Twitter, as well as the Retromania Pro Wrestling Podcast Network over on Podbean. Um, For that watch party, Dennis joined me. We had a lot of fun. Um, We dove into the Chris Benoit controversy. So if any of you guys out there are interested in that, you can check that out towards the tail end of the podcast. Um, But yeah, so um, what I took away from that event, I thought overall it was a solid show. I had fun. Crowd was pretty hot for it. Um, you know, it's been 15 years since Hartford had a pay-per-view, so I think the I think the crowd was pretty jazzed up. And I'm not just saying that from being in the arena. Um, I watched it back on WWE Network, and I thought it was a pretty fun show um, overall. Um, there was some good, there was some okay stuff, and there was some stuff that I really didn't care for. Um, but what I took away from the event here is a few things that I took away from the event. First and foremost. Um, the cruiserweight match. It was Tony Nice against Arya Davari for the cruiserweight championship. Uh, to be perfectly honest with you, I did not watch that match in the arena. I had to go use the bathroom. And when I went and left, um, a lot of the arena left to go either use the bathroom, 
go to concession stands, souvenir stand, whatever the case is. And that's a telling sign as to um, the casual WWE fan that watches um, because these guys, they bust their ass bell to bell. They have some of the best wrestling on the WWE network on a weekly basis, but nobody knows who they are. Um, and, you know, I think, I, I think, you know, a, a full concourse and concession area of people during that match is not a good thing. Um, wrestling fans didn't really gravitate to 205 Live after that Cruiserweight Classic like many thought they would um, because of the way it was presented when it, when it made the main roster, so to speak. And so um, I think what's hurt that brand is that they haven't had one star that, like, a casual audience can identify with. You know, hardcore wrestling fans wanted their bell-to-bell wrestling. And guess what? You guys got it, and it's great stuff. But to a casual fan... They want some story. They want a little bit more substance. Um, they want some characters. And they want somebody they can identify with. And there's no knock on the talent on that show whatsoever. I, I, I Let me just be clear on that. Those guys, you know, bust their ass. And I enjoy some of those guys. I can honestly tell you, I've probably watched three or four matches on that show. Since it's been it's in, uh, on the WWE Network for the last couple of years. Okay, If I heard something was really good, I'd go check it out. But... I don't make the time and the effort to do so because I don't think there's anything that really comes out at me that grabs me. Um, I think the way it's been presented has been all wrong. Um, I think it's been, I, I think, I think they need to go back to the drawing board with it. Um, maybe even take 205 and incorporate it with NXT um, because that seems to be the kind of audience that would pay more attention to it. And I think eventually they'll get there. I think, you know, it's going to take a little bit of time, but I feel like um, there needs to be some sort of repackaging of the brand itself and what you're trying to accomplish. Because, um, you know, having them perform in a half-empty arena after SmackDown has aired doesn't really do much for the presentation. You know, you see a half-empty arena, they got to dim the lights. Um the crowd not nearly as, as excited for it because they just went through two hours of a, of, a, of a live show. So I feel like 205 Live needs to make some changes if they want to stay afloat and, you know, want to be recognized. And they want to have people watch their matches on a main roster pay-per-view. You know, you just threw, you, they just threw these two guys onto this pay-per-view. And most people that watch these pay-per-views, they were just watching Raw and SmackDown. They're not really watching 205. I'm not saying nobody watches it, but I'm saying casual fans aren't really gravitating to 205. So you throw these guys on there and nobody knows who they are. It's like this era's version of the Diva match. The Diva match was usually the piss break. That's what the cruiserweights are to a lot of you know a lot of these shows, so um, it's very unfortunate. Hopefully, they can do something where um, they can get people interested in their product in their show because I think um, the cruiserweight wrestling under a WWE banner, if done correctly, could be successful. Um, and you kind of see some of those some of those guys um, on NXT and even on NXT UK. Um, so I'm maybe incorporating some of those guys into those other two brands. Um, would will help 
but um, a, a repackaging of the entire brand and the presentation itself is certainly needed, in my opinion. And I think it showed with all of us getting up and leaving. Like I said, I had to go to the bathroom, um, and you know, it was it was unfortunate. I felt bad, but I watched the match back on the network, and it was a good match. It really was. These guys busted their ass. Um, if it, if there was an arena full of people, I think it would have gone over better than it did. Um, but you know, these guys, I think got, you know, shafted and put in a tough spot. So, um, that's where I stand when it comes to that match from that event. Um, let's move on to, I'm going to kind of skip around here. I'm not going to cover everything on the show because I think there was some stuff that was just okay. That really wasn't that memorable. Um, and there was some stuff that was disappointing. Um, I thought Roman Reigns and Elias was kind of disappointing. I was expecting a match and to be quite honest with you, um, I, I, I've been on the fence about Elias. I don't walk with Elias, okay? I'll be perfectly honest with you. I don't. I think he's a great character, but, I mean, you know, how many times are you going to insult a city and the fans without there being some kind of payoff? Um, you know, how many times are you going to get humiliated at WrestleMania without there being some kind of payoff? There's no reason for me to take him seriously. Um, I don't know what you're trying to do. You're trying to present him as a, a, a comedy chicken shit heel, or are you trying to present him as a serious contender? I, you know, and I think it, I thought we were going to get something serious out of him and Roman Reigns, and we got something really short. And I'm kind of glad we did because, like I said, I've just not been into Elias. I think like it's almost like you know they should have they should have pulled the trigger a while ago in terms of not pulling the trigger and giving him this monster push and making him the next face of the company, but pulling the trigger in the sense of like putting him in some meaningful, impactful storylines. Um, he's just kind of been all over the place, and uh, I, I I don't I'm not into him. I'm just not. So um, I was a little disappointed, but at the same time, I guess it was for the best. Ray and, Do- Ray and uh, not Ray and Dominic, Ray Mysterio and uh, Samoa Joe for the U.S. title. A little disappointing. It was cut short. Referee stopped the match because Joe broke his nose. Uh, I was a little disappointed because their WrestleMania match was even shorter. So I didn't, um, I, I didn't really care for that. Shane McMahon and Miz, disappointing in the cage. Uh, I enjoyed the finish, but the match itself, I was expecting a little more. I, you know, to come off that that false count anywhere match at WrestleMania, that big spot off the scaffold. Um, at MetLife Stadium to then this kind of, you know, rinky-dink, uh, you know, half-assed steel cage match wasn't impressed. It was okay, but, you know, wasn't really too impressed. The finish I thought was creative and interesting, um, but nothing to write home about. Um, so those are the things that just kind of like – I and, and Kofi and Kevin Owens too – Kofi'd been red hot going into WrestleMania, even following WrestleMania. He's had a great string of matches with guys. He's going to have a match with Dolph at that super showdown. But the match with with Kevin Owens, I don't know. I just i i wasn't I wasn't a fan of it. Not that they didn't work hard. Let's just be honest. They they, they did work hard, but it just I don't think that chemistry was there. I really don't. I think it was forced. I think uh, Daniel Bryan's injury had a lot to do with that, and they forced Kevin Owens to. To, to go back to being a heel, um, you know, which he's, he's it's, it's a comfortable role for him. But I was intrigued by the um, the the middle class common man kind of, you know, everyday regular guy, Kevin Owens, that they were looked it looked like they were portraying as a good guy, a father, you know, a, a, a guy that, you know, that looks like he'd be sitting out in the crowd watching wrestling as opposed to being in the ring wrestling. But he's a, a, a but he could 
turn out to be a tremendous athlete in the ring. I was looking forward to that Kevin Owens and, and the possibilities of that. And we didn't get it. Um, so maybe that's why I didn't like Kofi and Owens. But, you know, that being said, that's the stuff that I didn't, you know, that didn't really, um, I didn't really care for, but it wasn't terrible either. Um, but the stuff that really came out at me was stuff with the cruiserweights, as well as um, the universal title match, Seth Rollins and AJ Styles. Um, they tore it up, man. Match of the night, in my opinion. I thought those two guys really put on a hell of a match. They told a great story. I thought it was well-paced, timed out. Um, didn't get too many false finishes, but enough to, you know, whet your appetite a little bit. Um, didn't, you know, it's it's not like a lot of these matches these days where, you know, everyone's kicking out everyone's fucking finisher and, you know, finishers don't mean anything. Like, it was it was good stuff between these two. And I'm glad that they didn't hype this match as the dream match. Because a lot of fans online were talking about, oh, it's going to be a dream match. You know, these two guys wrestled at some indie in, like, Paducah, Kentucky, or wherever the fuck. And they had a phenomenal match, no pun intended. And, um, you know, I knew it was going to be a good match. I knew it was going to be a great match. Because um, they're two world-class athletes, two world-class performers. Um, and their styles are very similar, no pun intended. But um, you know, I'm glad they didn't hype it up as dream match because when they because when they hyped up Styles and and, and uh, Shinsuke Nakamura at WrestleMania last year as a dream match, it didn't deliver. It just didn't. It was a good match. It was a damn good match, but it wasn't dream match quality. I'm sorry, it just wasn't. Um, and the, I thought the finish was great, but I thought the match itself was it didn't deliver on that dream match level. Just my opinion. I'm sure I'll get lynched for it by all the Shinsuke marks um, out there. Um, but, you know, I'm an AJ mark, so whatever. Uh, anyhow, um, I thought it was a great match. I look forward to seeing the two of them go at it again. I, I was kind of hoping that AJ was going to turn on, on Rollins or at least tease some kind of turn for losing. And I thought that's the direction they were kind of going in. Um, I, you know, but I have a feeling that, you know, they left it. They left the door open for another match between these two, and it wouldn't surprise me if, if uh, they have a big match at um, you know one of the next pay per views, maybe even SummerSlam. I mean, they'll wait till SummerSlam to do it. Um, I didn't really care for the build up going into this match. You know, AJ wins a title shot, um, and then all of a sudden things escalate on a personal level between the two. Like I just didn't, th I didn't think it was the right time for that kind of vibe going into their match, but. They delivered when it came from bell to bell, and I was pretty happy for it. The crowd was into it, um, and, and I consider it match of the night. So wouldn't be surprised if these two touch again. Like I said, pay-per-view, SummerSlam maybe, with or without the belt. Uh, time will tell on that, but that's where I stand when it comes to uh, the, that match. Now, the, 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 the two money-in-the-bank ladder matches. Let's start with, let's start with the women because they open the show, okay? I thought it was a fun match. I thought um, the participants in the match, um, you know, some of the newbies like a Mandy Rose or a, uh, a Dana Brooke, um, you know, had, had good showings, strong showings in the match. Um, Naomi, I thought each girl was able to shine in some form or fashion. Uh, but that crowd, it was strange because being in the building, the crowd the crowd was into Dana Brooke, okay, when she was making some of those leaps with the ladder and she was she was almost there. Even Ember Moon, too. They were big into Ember Moon. 
it's weird because Bailey, when she came out, she got a mixed reaction. Um, and even at points when she was trying to climb the ladder, um, she was getting a little bit of a mixed reaction. Like some people didn't want to see it, but some people were happy to see it. And then the spot at the end at the finish when uh, Sonya Deville um, was carrying Mandy Rose up the ladder and she propped Mandy up to get the briefcase and Bailey shot up the ladder and knocked them both off and took it. The place blew up for that. And I was happy to see her win. I, I was when I was you know talking with Dennis and Daryl before the show about you know predictions and stuff. I had said I think Bailey's going to win it. She's got to win it. Um, and I think she's got to win it because she needs to you know she needs something to kind of give her a recharge. Um, and and here's why. I feel like Bailey has kind of been stifled since she was on the main roster. She was white hot, as they say in the business, uh, in NXT. White hot. The thing, the matches she was having with Charlotte and Sasha, of course, goes without saying. Everyone talks about those matches. Becky, um, even the match with Oscar and and Nia Jax, like those matches. Like she was having some phenomenal matches on NXT. White hot. People loved her. I would argue to say she was the top babyface on NXT between the men and the women. I mean, she was that she was that popular. And when she got to the main roster, I feel like they didn't have a real plan for her. They brought her in, they introduced her, they kind of put her in the mix a little bit, but then they like pulled her aside and didn't really do much with her. Then they put her back in, then they pull her again. It was really strange. Um, and I think also, too, because of the great matches she had with Sasha, a lot of fans wanted to see those on the main roster, on a larger stage, on a grander scale. And for whatever reason, the company didn't pull the trigger like they should have. Um when it came to that stuff. Because I agree. I think that those two would have made magic on the main roster. Uh, however, that didn't happen. Um, and just the, the ebb and flows and the peaks and valleys her character had hit. Um, this Money in the Bank win for her character, I think, was very important um, moving forward. I mean, you know, she had a, a brief title run. And then they didn't really do a lot with her. And then they kind of had her interacting with Sasha. They teased the two of them splitting up last year, going into that first WrestleMania Women's Battle Royal, and I thought, okay, this is good. You know, these two have great chemistry against each other. The people are into it. When they even had Bailey kind of be the aggressor in the situation against Sasha, and the fans were gravitating to it, I thought that was really good stuff because everyone expected Sasha. You know, she's a little bit of a, I wouldn't say a diva, but she's got a little bit of an attitude and edge to her. Um, everyone expected her to be the one to, to, to kind of turn on Bailey. And when Bailey kind of flipped the tables on her, I was like, oh, this is good. But then they didn't really follow through with it. Instead, they had Kurt Angle as the general manager force the two of them to go to a couple's counseling. Otherwise, they're going to be fired. Like, what the fuck kind of shit was that? You know, I just thought that was, I just thought that was dumb. I didn't like that at all. Um, but they made them a team. They kept them on screen. I was like, okay, you know what? If it leads back to the two of them blowing up at each other and having a match, that's cool too. And I kind of thought that was the direction they were going. And even when they won the titles, I thought maybe like they would do something where like they'll have a month, a few month run with the championships, the women's titles. And then, you know, one of them will turn on the other and we'll get to the big match, the big moment between the two of them that everyone's been clamoring for since Bailey made it to the main roster. Sasha took a leave of absence. 
You can speculate whether that's due to her issues with management or if she had planned time off. Who knows? I'm not going to speculate, but this was a perfect opportunity for Bailey's character to ascend and do something without Sasha and really make a mark for herself and a name for herself. I wouldn't say make a name for herself because she's already a big name, but really, really stand out on her own on the main roster because I feel like she hasn't since she's been on the main roster. And so when she grabbed that briefcase, that place lit up. I was like, okay, cool. And I was kind of hoping that Bailey was going to cash in either at Money in the Bank or at a later date and and lose, you know, an unsuccessful cash-in for Bailey. And then that would kind of begin the early stages of like a character change for her, you know, give her a little bit more of an attitude because I felt that when she last year, when they were good, when they were getting to WrestleMania and like I said, she was the aggressor more than Sasha was and the people loved it. I was like, this is something that Bailey needs, but knowing WWE and knowing the way that they have kind of mapped things out and the narratives that they try to create, I feel like they would, they would have tried to really fully turn her and the audience would reject it and they would want to cheer it in the same way that the audience did with Becky Lynch last year when they tried to turn Becky Lynch into a bad girl, a heel, and the audience loved what she was doing and they were gravitating to it. The company had no choice but to keep her as a, a badass babyface. If Bailey was going to be a badass, you know, she would have to be a babyface. So, um... I was kind of hoping that that was the route they were going to go. I, I had a feeling watching the show that when Becky defended the title twice, that there was going to be a cash-in attempt or an opportunity at some point. Um, I'm glad she lost one of the belts because I feel like if she did keep the belt, or belts, both of them, I should say, at the same time, um, and we would have gotten Roman Reigns from 2015 all over again. You know, the audience, I feel like, would have really um you know they would there would have been a negative backlash from them it's like you know and 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 wrestling audiences especially wwe fans are very fickle you know you, you give them what they want and you have it and then if you give them too much of it then they turn against you you know what i mean so i feel like becky would have been a would have been you know uh, a a subject of the audience's backlash if she kept both belts and retained both titles. So I'm glad that she lost one when they did the run in with Lacey at the end. And, and that's the other thing. Lacey cost her the SmackDown title over Charlotte after she lost to uh, her in the first match. So you have the two of them that can kind of jump off and do their own thing on raw for the raw women's title. Now SmackDown, um, she loses it to Charlotte. Charlotte gets it back. She breaks a record. She's a nine-time women's champion. Now, you know, most title wins amongst a woman um, in wrestling history, or at least in WWE history, I should say. And then they do the beatdown, and the crowds chant, Bailey, 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 we want Bailey, we want Bailey. Finally, she comes out, brings the briefcase, and at that point, I was like, all right, something big is going to go down. And you could feel that like you could feel as, as cliche as it sounds, you could feel the electricity in the building. You could feel the tension. Like, and I'm not kidding you when I say this, cause I was there, but, um, I could feel the ground shake. Like I could feel people stomping their feet cause they wanted to see Bailey cash in. When she took out Charlotte and Charlotte hit the, hit the mat 
And that briefcase was there and she was contemplating what she was going to do. And she looked at the briefcase and then she grabbed it and said, I'm cashing it in. The place exploded. And at that point, like she had to win. And when she did it, as cliche as it sounds again, the roof blew off the place. I mean, it was huge. And it was a feel good moment because I felt like all the instances that I just explained to you just a moment ago regarding the ebbs and flows and the peaks and valleys in Bailey's character, um, even though that that stuff probably wasn't meant to go down and transpire the way it did, it led to that moment with her cashing in, winning the title. And in a sense, you could almost write that story right then and there with all those instances taking place to lead up to this point of her winning the championship. Even though it was not meant to be the road that she traveled on to get to that title, it happened and it, and a lot of it, I guess you can rationalize and make sense of it now that she's won the championship. So um, I, I, I enjoyed it. It was a feel-good moment. You know, Dennis and Daryl, we were high-fiving each other. I was into it. I was never the big ba- the biggest Bailey fan. I enjoyed her work, but I wasn't, like, super, super behind her. But at, at Money in the Bank, I was. Because I, I was a fan. And I said this in the live video on, on, on the Facebook page. I'm kicking out of two. Sometimes wrestling fans need to stay in their lane. Just be a fan. It's okay to be a fan. It's okay to, you know, be a fan of something and not know everything about it, you know? Or not think you know everything about it. You know what I mean? And I got caught up in it. I got caught up just being a fan. I got caught up in the, in the, the you know, I, I, I let them suspend my disbelief for a few moments. And that was cool. You know what I mean? And there's nothing wrong with that. And I think a lot of wrestling fans are almost afraid for that to happen. It's like they want to know the answer to the question before the question was even asked. And I think, especially with WWE, if you don't get the the answer that you want, then the whole thing goes to shit. And I'm not saying that WWE puts out the best product because I think there's some flaws in their storytelling too. And I'll get into that shortly when it comes to the AEW show. But I I just thought that like it was a great storybook moment for Bailey. And I I think to kind of keep up with that momentum, they need to consistently position her character as a credible person in the title picture, especially as champion. I mean you have to, you know? Um, considering you know, all the, the, the up and down, the, the, the stifling that her character has suffered through since she's been on the main roster. I think this needs to be like a recharge for her. Um, so I was really happy to see that. And it was a really cool moment to be a part of. And she got in the crowd and she posed with fans and she held up the belt. And it was just really cool. The crowd was really into it. And it was living proof that You can take a concept and a gimmick like the Money in the Bank contract and that briefcase and you can put it on someone that has or at one point had a a, a strong following and popularity and you can give them a jolt in their character and they're back to being relevant again. You know what I mean? And it's living proof that the people were behind her even through all the crap that, sh- that her character went through and even all the things that she's gone through um, in the last couple of years, um, you know, in, in real life, um, according to the rumor and innuendo, as they like to say, um, it's, 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 a, it's, a, it's living proof that 
you know, if you if you do it the right way, you can get the result that you want, and you know it puts Bailey back in a, in a prominent position in the women's division. And I and I think a lot of people will say, well, that was done because of Sasha's absence and Sasha asking to to get let go out of her deal and. Maybe that is true. Who knows? I'm not going to speculate on it. Um, I'm not ruling it out either. I'm not saying it, that, that that it's not possible that that was the reason why. But um, in this moment in time, I got to experience it live, and I thought it was pretty cool and a pretty fun moment. And um, hopefully they can uh, they can capitalize further when it comes to Bailey. So, um, yeah, that was a lot of fun. Now let's go to the men's match, which closed out the evening. You had Randy Orton. Now, actually, I should say before I get into that, um, Sami Zayn, who was in the match um, earlier in the evening, was attacked and was led to believe that it was Braun Strowman. Um, so uh, when the main event started, um, Braun was out of the building. Sami Zayn's character was in the hospital, or should I say, local medical facility, as Michael Cole would like to put it. Um, and so you had the seven parts, seven out of the eight participants made it to the match. You had Randy Orton, uh, Ali. Finn Balor, Drew McIntyre, Baron Corbin, um, Andrade, and Ricochet. All a part of this match. And I love ladder matches. It's probably one of my favorite gimmick matches. It's a human car crash. It's exciting to watch. It's fun. Um, Respect the hell out of all these guys that put their bodies on the line. Um, In these matches, they're, they're brutal to watch, but they're also fun to watch, too. I thought this match was a really fun match. I got some pictures. By the way, any of you want to check out my photo album on the Kicking Out of Two Facebook page, you can do so. Facebook.com forward slash Kicking Out of Two. There's um, there's pictures up there. Um, I, I believe I got a few videos up there as well in that photo album of uh, you know some of the action that took place. Uh, had some great seats, by the way. Thanks to Dennis. He hooked it up. Um, and uh, it was just a very fun match. Um I was expecting something to take place at some point. I just wasn't sure what it was going to be. Uh, at one point, we thought maybe it was going to be Bray Wyatt. And the reason why I say that is because they were selling those new Bray Wyatt Firefly Funhouse t-shirts. And we thought to ourselves, well, you know, he's gotten a positive response on TV in the last few weeks with these skits, with these, you know, children's TV show kind of Mr. Rogers kind of vibe to it. And... um you know, maybe this will be like the big thing for him. Like that, this is what really is going to make him break out and be a big star. He's going to surprise everyone and win the money in the bank. Um, we didn't get that. Instead, we were swerved with Brock Lesnar. And when that music hit, I jumped and I was like, "Yes, he's got to win, win, get that briefcase." And you know something? I got caught up in it as a fan. I didn't care that I got swerved because I didn't see it coming. Okay. And there are fans out there that are outraged that Brock came back and Brock got the money in the bank and all those guys busted their ass and beat each other up with those ladders and took all those crazy bumps only for Brock to come in, knock one guy off the ladder and climb up and grab the briefcase to win it. And I could understand that train of thought by fans and by the guys that were involved in the match. But, um, you know, Brock's a big star. I don't care what anyone says. Brock, you know, sells tickets. And Brock is a is probably the biggest star they have right now in this company. Uh, I truly believe that. Um, so I mean, it made sense that he 
that they that they had him win the money in the bank. I thought the way he did it, it was a very dick move. It puts more heat on him. It puts more heat on Paul Heyman. I think the way he's been kind of using that briefcase as a part of his character with the pretending it to be a boombox, and now they've turned the damn thing into a boombox. Um, I think it's pretty cool. It adds a different part of the Brock Lesnar character that we normally don't see where he's, you know, just he's a serious ass kicker that takes no shit from nobody, beats anybody up, comes and goes when he pleases and does whatever the fuck he wants. Like, I think that adding a little bit of that comedic, you know, element to his character and not over the top, but enough to make you want to hate him and see someone beat him. I think it's cool. I think it works. Um, and I mean, I, you kind of had a feeling that it would that you know Brock was going to be returning shortly after you heard all the rumors and the dirt sheets that he was going to, you know, come back for the, the the Saudi Arabia show next week, and um, he's not scheduled for a match as of this time, as of this recording. Uh, maybe that'll change, but um, you know, I didn't have a problem with him winning. Okay, I really didn't, um, but I understand why some people did. Okay, I do think. Now, when it comes to the Brock Lesnar situation, okay? Like I said, didn't have a problem with winning the briefcase. It's interesting how they're going to play out this, you know, the the, the cash-in scenarios with him. Um, but I do feel like I agree with some wrestling fans that, like, he's 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 taking away... His, his presence on the show helps, but at the same time... It, it, it hurts to some degree, okay? Because it makes the rest of the roster look inferior to him. I feel like they haven't done a good enough job building guys up to be at his level or just a notch under his level, you know what I mean? Someone that looks credible in beating him. They had the opportunity with Braun, and I don't know why they didn't pull that trigger, okay? Felt like they were going to push Braun to be the guy to, to, to knock him off, you know, knock Brock off his perch. That didn't happen. Um... They had Reigns beat him at SummerSlam last year, and that didn't really do much. Brock came back and ended up winning the belt two month, two or three months later, uh, after Reigns had to announce he was, uh, you know, going to be leaving to uh, battle uh, leukemia. So, the Rollins victory at WrestleMania was cool because it, the way it was done, the way it was presented, um, I thought that was I didn't hurt Brock by any means, and it helped Rollins. Um, but I feel like Brock can be Brock can still be valuable to the company as an attraction. Doesn't have to be there every week. But if you did if you did bring him out every couple of months, or for let's say a string of like a month straight, two months tops. I know that's pushing it, okay? But if you put him in a scenario where it's a more personal rivalry with someone, I feel like Brock Brock's involvement on the show doesn't have to revolve around the fucking title all the time. Okay? I feel like it, in some ways, diminishes the title, hurts the title that he's so involved in it. And it doesn't give other guys the opportunity to not only... It, it doesn't give them the opportunity to build their credibility as a champion because once they get the belt, Brock normally beats them for it pretty quickly. And then he's back to holding it for God knows how long. Okay? I think Brock's long reign recently, these last two reigns he's had with that Universal title, I get the point. 
you, you tried to establish some credibility to the title by having, you know, an attraction like Brock Lesnar hold it and make those title matches mean something. But in the, at the, in the meantime, you, you, you pissed off a, a good portion of the audience, a lot of the hardcore diehard fans. And then finally, when you put the belt on Seth Rollins, you know, he's had it since, you know, April WrestleMania. We're going into June. We're almost at the two-month mark, okay? Um, give him a little bit more time. I'm not saying Brock's going to cash in tomorrow, but... Give him a little bit more time to build up his character's credibility as the champion so that when the day that Brock, you know, they decide to have Brock beat the champion, whether it's Rollins, whether it's Kofi or whether it's whoever, that it's 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 looked at as an important moment because that person had a sustainable run as the champion as opposed to just being business as usual. Well, let's hit the panic button and put the belt back on Brock. I get why they do that, but I just think it, it doesn't in the, the big picture. It doesn't hurt. It doesn't help, I should say. It hurts. So if Brock were to be an attraction and have a more personal rivalry with someone that didn't revolve around the belt, let's just say just for ha-has, you know, they bring him, you know, they bring him back and he's going to have a personal rivalry with a Braun Strowman, you know, have a series of matches with those two guys, you know, whether it's a cage match or whether it's a no DQ or whether it's a, uh, a hell in the cell even you know give these two a personal rivalry you know what i mean instead of just being well brock's back he's automatically in the title picture so i can understand some fans frustrations but at the same time some of these fans just take it way too far and they think that they need to know everything they need to know what vince is thinking they need to know what they're going to be doing you know how they're going to book the show and book the card and then when it doesn't go their way, they get pissed. And it's like, well, WWE sucks. Brock's a piece of shit. You know, why are they doing this? They're alienating their fans. Um, I can understand why they have their frustrations, but they take it a little too overboard. And like I said, just be a fan. Stay in your lane. Try to enjoy the show. If you don't enjoy the show, then go watch something else like AEW's Double or Nothing. Okay. Um, I got a chance to watch it last Saturday. And uh, I must say, I thought it was a pretty good show, a good first outing for the company. Um, I wouldn't say I was blown away by it. Uh, most wrestling fans, you know, especially the AEW fans, will say, oh, it was the greatest pay-per-view of all time, pay-per-view of the year. Um, I thought it was a damn good show. I would, I would put it as one of the top shows of this year so far. I really would. Um, you know, there being its first outing, I thought they did a, a, a tremendous job trying to showcase a lot of the newer talent. But at the same time, I thought there was too much new for me. Like I was trying to keep up with too many guys that I'd never been familiar with before. You know, you had a few of those, and and you'll have to excuse me. Um, I took some notes when it came to this subject, but. Um, I don't want to mispronounce a lot of these guys' names, especially the international talents from like China and Japan. So I'm going to keep my mouth shut and not, you know, uh, say their names and butcher their names out of respect to them. But um, you know, you had the the, the Oriental Wrestling Entertainment Group; uh, those three guys that wrestled uh, SoCal Uncensored, uh, Christopher Daniels, Frankie Kazarian, and Scorpio Sky. Uh, fun match to start, I will say. I thought um, it was a good way to get the crowd going. Um, for the main pay-per-view show and uh, really set the pace for what the rest of the show is going to be. Um, the girls' match uh, was pretty fun and uh, I enjoyed the inclusion of Awesome Kong as a surprise. I, I've always thought that she could be a big attraction to women's wrestling. 
Um, I thought she could have been a huge deal. I thought she could have been the female Brock Lesnar of WWE when she was in WWE for a cup of coffee. I really did. And unfortunately, you know, things didn't work out. Um, she did some great stuff in TNA. And I was looking, I, you know, I was disappointed that she wasn't a big part of the women's wrestling movement in the last couple of years. I mean, she played a role on that, that, that glow show on Netflix. Um, and that was cool to see her on that. But, um, I really wanted to see her, um, you know, in the ring, you know, wrestling for whether it was WWE or even impact wrestling and really being able to, um, be a focal point of this women's wrestling movement in the last few years. And to see her come back for this show was pretty cool. Um, her involvement with, uh, you know, uh, Britt Baker and I believe it's Nyla girl's name is the transgender, uh, wrestler as well as, um, smiley Kylie Ray, who is like their version of Bailey, I guess. Uh, it was a fun match. The girls brought it and, uh, definitely looking forward to seeing, you know, all those girls mix it up some more, um, in the near future, uh, for all elite wrestling. Um, the, 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 the six woman tag team match with, um, a lot of the Japanese talents wasn't really familiar with any of them except for Aja Kong. So, um, I, um, the feed I was watching it on, um, it, it was kind of cutting out a little bit. So yes, I, I managed, I didn't pay for it on pay-per-view. I, someone gave me a link for a feed, a stream that it was on and I watched it. And that was another issue. I had an argument with someone on Facebook about that. Um, someone telling me I don't support the wrestling business if I didn't buy the pay-per-view. Um, so whatever, fuck you. Uh, <laughs> For real, you know what I mean. You're not paying my fucking bills, all right, pal. Don't try and la don't try and tell me how to be a fan. You could you could just be a fan, all right. Just be a fucking fan. Don't be an asshole. Don't try and tell people how to be fans and 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 what you know what what kind of fans they could be by supporting wrestling. You know, eyeballs is what counts at the end of the day. I'm not saying that you know it's right to illegally stream something, but someone told me there was a link and I clicked on it. And I watched it. So does that make me a fucking bad guy? You know, give me a break. Fuck you. I forgot the guy's name, but he was on. He was part of the Mania Club, um, which is a great group of guys, by the way. Mania Club is a charitable organization that donates money to the Connors Cure Foundation. My good buddy Tito Martinez is a big part of that. Um, so uh, you know, but there's a few knuckleheads on some of those 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 uh, group pages on Facebook that you know they try to act like they're bigger than 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 what they really are. But at the end of the day, you're just like me and everybody else that watches it. You're a fucking fan, so sit down and shut the fuck up. All right, uh, now that I got that little rant out of the way. Um, yeah, I didn't really uh, get to see a whole lot of that match, and I caught a little bit of the. Um, Jack Evans and Je and Helico, I believe his name is, against uh, best friends Chucky Taylor and uh, Trent Beretta. Um, you know, I, I the, my feed was kind of coming in and out of that one too, so I didn't get a chance to see a lot of that. I saw the finish at the end when they had that, those group of guys. The lights came out. They're supposed to be called the Super Smash Brothers. I don't know who they are either. Um, I'm familiar with Trent Beretta and Chucky Taylor. Um, seeing some of their stuff. Um, online on youtube on uh, uh you know for new japan um but some of the other guys like i really wasn't too familiar with so like i said there was a lot of new to absorb and 
it could be a good thing, but it also could be a bad thing as well, at least in my opinion. It was just a lot to keep up with, a lot of new people to keep up with. But I think that AEW did a tremendous job in doing so. Um, even with the commentary with JR and uh, Excalibur and Alex Marvez, three guys who have never done a live show before, I thought they worked really well together. You could you could sense some hiccups at times in the in the in the commentary, but you know it's going to happen. It's their first outing. Um, even some little, you know, little tiny minor production snafus with some of the camera work and the the, the, the directing. Um, you know, they just need to tighten it up a little bit. But for the most part, I thought it was a really good outing overall um, for the show. Um, the championship belt presentation was um, was pretty cool. Brett came out. Brett Hart came out to present the championship. Um, the winner of the Casino Battle Royale. Uh, from the the uh, the kickoff show, or the, I guess they like to call it the pre-show, the buy-in, because they were in Vegas, uh, was um, Hangman Adam Page, who was originally scheduled to wrestle Pac, former WWE superstar Neville, but um, Pac uh, couldn't agree to some creative terms and had some differences with management, so he had to pull out of the show. So Hangman won the battle royal um, on the on the 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 uh, the buy-in pre-show, and he came out with the championship, and there was a, a cool little interaction with uh, MJF, who is, in my opinion, is going to be the top heel um, in AEW, um, you know, within the next year or so. I mean, he's one of those guys that's not afraid to insult the audience. He's not trying to be a cool heel. Um, he's trying to get heat, and uh, he's got a very um, unlikable presentation to him that you know as a wrestling fan i want to see someone beat the shit out of him and we kind of got that when page adam page got involved um with him physically uh, i believe um havoc and jungle boy uh luke perry the late luke perry's son uh had some involvement in that that segment as well um i will say the championship has a real cool championship look to it. it looks very royal and and regal but at the same time it's not the greatest looking title in the world either um it looks like a championship but at the same time like it almost looks too nice to be a championship i don't know maybe i'm just being nitpicky here but like the belt's nothing to write home about but at the end of the day um i think i gotta see it on whoever's gonna be the champion so Hangman Page won the Battle Royal. He's going to face the winner of the Jericho Omega match, which may have invented the show, which I'll get into in a moment. Um, moving on, my opinion, match of the night. I'll even put this as a match of the year contender. Cody and Dustin. Woo-hoo! Talk about emotions. Talk about storytelling. Talk about, you know, getting you in what the kids call the feels. Man, these two guys laid it all out there. Um... Had a lot to prove, you know, the story of Dustin wanting to see if he still got one more in him. Cody wanting to prove that he could, you know, beat his older brother. Um, both of them wanting to prove that they could put on a main event caliber matchup um, that, that wrestling fans are going to, you know, look at as an all-time classic. Uh, they weren't able to do that in WWE. Uh, apparently there was talk that the two of them pitched multiple times to have a match at WrestleMania and the company turned it down. They had that one match at Fastlane in 2015, and I thought that it was very disappointing. Um, I know that both performers have said publicly that they thought it was disappointing. So when it came to this match, um, I knew they were going to deliver. I just knew it. I mean, it's they're they're both the son of the American Dream, Dusty Rhodes, the late great Dusty Rhodes, and I feel like it would be sacrilege if they did not deliver. So. 
Um, awesome stuff. The visual of the blood with 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 uh, Dustin getting busted open and the story being told of like this old man, you know, is just he's just he's he he keeps fighting and Cody can't put him down and it, it takes a hell of a lot to do it, but Cody eventually does it. And then you know the moment at the end, I posted it on Facebook, um, a comparison video of this promo at the end of the match when Cody asked Dustin to be his partner and the promo that Dusty cut in 1994 with Dustin when Dusty asked to be Dustin's partner against Colonel Robert Parker and his stud stable of uh, Terry Funk and Bunkhouse Buck Um, and man just the emotion you could hear it in Cody's voice I don't need a partner I don't need a friend I need my older brother and the place just, man, you could see people crying. Like it was, it was, it was an, it was an awesome moment. Jim Ross said it on commentary that this is what you live for as a wrestling fan. And for me, I thought that that over delivered in my opinion. Um, and that was the match I was looking most forward to because being a nostalgic guy that I am growing up, I've watched Dustin Rhodes since, you know, the, the early nineties. Um, and then transforming into gold dust. And then, of course, Cody's ascension in wrestling. And it was just, it was really some awesome stuff, man. And, you know, apparently they're going to to team up at the Fight for the Fallen event um, next month against uh, the Young Bucks. And I don't think that the rivalry between these two guys is over just yet. I, I, got, a, I got a sinking feeling that they, they tugged at our heartstrings a little bit. And they're going to... They're going to really, really get at our emotions. Um, and we may see these two go at it again. I, I, I kind of have a strong feeling we're, we're, we're heading in a direction that this, the two the stuff with them isn't over yet. But um, an awesome match, match of the night. I said it you know earlier, match of the year candidate. When it first happened, I was like, this isn't the greatest match of all time. But I felt like this was... Uh, this was Cody's best match outside of WWE since he left WWE. I truly believe that. Um, he's had some great matches with Juice Robinson, Kota Bushi, the match he had with Nick Aldis at All In, um, stuff he did with uh, Jay Lethal and Christopher Daniels, and you know all that stuff he's done in the last set with Kenny Omega. But um, this to me. On an emotional level, the story that was told, unbelievable. These two brothers just, you know, trying to, they got both, both have something to prove to each other, to themselves. It was, it was unbelievable stuff. The, the the crowd was electric for it. It was, I can't say enough good about it. It really was awesome. Um, Next match, a fun match, but a match I felt that was a little too much fun. Uh, if that's you know a, a good way of putting it, I'm talking about the Young Bucks uh, defeating um, the Lucha Brothers, uh, Pentagon and uh, Phoenix for the AAA Tag Team Championships. Um, you know, I'm not a big Young Bucks guy. Um, you know, I, I I respect what they're doing in this business in terms of trying to change the game. I really am. Um, but I, I think that there's too much of the over, uh, there's not enough selling. There's too many high spots. It was, you know, these guys, they, they tore it up. They killed each other. 
It was fun to watch. It was a great human car crash. Okay, I, I, I'm not going to knock what these two guys, what these two teams did, but there was no psychology in my opinion. There really wasn't. People say that there, it was a great match, psycho- and from a from a psychological standpoint. Excuse me, but I don't think there was. I mean, this guy jumps off the top rope and does a flip and a hurricane run. He takes the guy out on the ground. The guy gets back up and then he does something. And there was like no resting. And it seemed like all four guys were just, you know, it's like anything you can do, I can do better. Um, and then at the end, you know, the, the, the Bucks win with that Meltzer driver. Um, the only the only selling that <laughs> the only selling that. Um, that, that took place in that match was at the end when I forget which one it was. I want to say it was Matt Jackson. Maybe it was Nick. I don't know. But one of the, one of the bucks um, was selling his arm uh, when he was delivering that tombstone and he only, he did it with one arm. And I thought that was good, but it was like, man, you should have sold all the other shit that took place in that match. You getting thrown off the top rope and, you know, hurricane Rana four fifty gainer this and, you know, uh, suicide plancha that like, it was just too much, way too much of that stuff and not nearly enough selling that there should have been. Um, but maybe it's just me as, as, you know, that comes from an older generation. Um, not, but like I said, it was still a fun match to watch. So much fun that you didn't even have to watch the match. You just had to watch the highlight reel because the the the, the replay at the end, it was, it, it was all high spots. It was all the big spots that took place in that match. You literally didn't have to watch the match. the 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 replay segment was like almost you know four minutes long, and they're going over replay after replay after replay of you know every single high spot move these teams did, and it was like. All right. Well, didn't have to watch the match. Like, thanks for the, you know, thanks for the 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 Cliff Notes version of it. Um, but it looks like it's not over with these two teams, um, and uh, you know maybe we'll see something different from them uh, moving forward at the next big event. Who knows? But um, I want to touch upon the commentary just a little bit. Um, I mentioned it earlier, and I'm kind of going all over the place with when it comes to uh, the, the the double or nothing subject here, but. Um, I thought, you know, like I said earlier, that the three guys did a pretty good job first time in the sh- first time out of the shoot for a live show. Um, I felt like Jr. kind of really held it together um, with his experience. Um, you know, you didn't feel like the guys were talking over each other too much. You didn't feel like Jr. was taking up too much of the lead as the broad as the 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 lead broadcaster. Um, each guy had their their spots and their their um, their uh, you know the the ability to um, get their shine in, so to speak, on commentary without feeling like they're trying to outdo the other. Um, Jr. kept everything together, I think, and for the first time out, I was pretty impressed with it. Um, there was some you know little you know wrinkles in the armor, so to speak, in the beginning of the show, but things picked up for them. And um, I think these three are going to be just fine as a, as a as a um, as a commentary team. But you know, time will tell. We'll see how that goes. Um, like I said, Jr. kind of kept it all together. Uh, Marvez was able to get his you know get his two cents in. Same thing with Excalibur. But Jr. was really kind of the one driving the train. But he wasn't doing it too much. You know what I mean? He was letting the others get involved as well. Um, so I thought that that was. Uh, it, I thought the commentary was pretty, you know, pretty solid here. Um, and then finally, the main event, Jericho and Omega. Good match, but not my favorite out of the two. Um, I thought the New Japan match was better. 
I enjoyed the New, New Japan match more, but, um, you know, this was still a good match, and Jericho winning made sense. He's a big name, and I feel like, you know, with the stipulation of the winner of that match faced the winner of the Battle Royal for the undisputed AEW championship, that you need a name like Jericho um, who can get eyeballs, you know, to the product um, that comes from, you know, a big, you know, grand stage like a WWE who is established, who's been in the business for over 20-something years to to be, you know, in that position for the world title picture with Adam Page at a future AEW show. Um, you know, Jericho, Jericho's a pro, man. At 48, he's at the top of his game. He's reinventing himself. And, um, you know, he's, he's, he's keeping relevant. And he's helping build AEW and growing. And um, so it makes sense that he won this match. And I think, you know, his credibility is going to, you know, he's, he's going to be good for that future title match with Adam Page. Um, and then, of course, at the end, the debut of the former Dean Ambrose from WWE, a.k.a. John Moxley. Uh, I thought it was a, a setup was very well done. Uh, crowd was really into it. Um, you could hear the passion in JR's voice, like, hey, what the hell's he doing here? Hey! Like, you could hear it. It was a big moment. Felt like a big moment. Um, you know, the, the future of Ambrose was kind of uncertain. Or should I say Moxley? And um, you kind of had a feeling that, you know, AEW was going to pick him up, but you weren't really sure uh, based on, you know, uh, Ambrose's, uh, his, um, the way he, um, the way he didn't really announce what his future would be when he left WWE. A lot of people thought the door was open for him to go back. He was going to take a little break, maybe do some indie stuff, maybe work Japan. But, um, you know, he, he made this big surprise debut and the people loved it and it had a lot of impact and you could feel that passion from watching him um, with his interactions with Jericho, the stuff he did with Omega and ending the show the way it did where he threw Omega off the stage, flipped the crowd off. Um, that was a great little you know, cliffhanger to end the very first Double or Nothing. And overall, I thought it was a great show. I really did. I... Um, I thought, you know, overall, these guys busted their ass. Everyone on that card busted their ass to let the wrestling world know that we're here. Come check us out. We can entertain you. We can, you know, give you some of the best in-ring action on the planet. And we could be a big player in the industry. Um, and I think over time, they're only going to get better. You know what I mean? Um, would I say that this was a home run? Close to it, yeah. I would say it was an in-the-park home run. Um, little stuff here and there that I noticed, but for the most part, damn good show, was entertained, and it was just fun to be a wrestling fan. Which brings me to this subject here. This narrative that wrestling fans are trying to portray that, that you know, this is a war between WWE and AEW. And AEW is going to put WWE out of business, and... WWE doesn't stand a chance and all their guys that are contracts are coming up. They're going to go join AEW. Why does it need to be a war? Why can't as a wrestling fan, we just have more than one option to watch and just be fun. You know what I mean? This narrative of, you know, this us versus them. I think it's got to stop. I really do. 
You know, I, I think there's nothing wrong with having an alternative and having more wrestling to watch. This is the, the best that the wrestling business has ever been since the 90s, okay? You have WWE, you now have AEW, you have Ring of Honor, you have New Japan Pro Wrestling, you have MLW, you have all the international promotions, you know, like AAA in Mexico, even though that some people are saying that's a dying brand, they're still producing television, um, you know, England, over in the UK, you have Progress. Um, I mean, the list goes on and on. You know, you have a lot of great wrestling out there. Different kinds of wrestling, too, as well. Impact Wrestling, I should say. I forgot to mention them as well. You have all kinds of wrestling going out there. Why does it need to be a war? You know what I mean? Um, and, and, and that was another part of the AEW show that... I wouldn't say that I disliked it, but... For a company that says that they're not trying to compete with WWE, they got a funny way of showing it when they're taking shots at them. Like, you know, the, the, the little tongue-in-cheek comments about the what the other company does and trying to compare their brand and their form of wrestling, sports entertainment, if you will, you know, to, to, to AEW's um, presentation, the... The shot with the throne when Cody pulled the sledgehammer out and destroyed the the what appeared to be Triple H's throne. I mean, I get why these guys are doing it. You know, they're trying to get the fans behind them. They're trying to get more eyeballs on their product. You know, it, it's it worked for Paul Heyman in ECW that us versus them mentality, where Paul Heyman used to rally his talent as well as the fan base. You know, to to look at you know. WWE and WCW is these evil empires, you know? I'm not saying AEW is looking at WWE as this evil empire, but, you know, at the same time, they're they're acknowledging their presence in the business and using it as a way to rally their fan base against them. Um, and like I said, for a group of guys that have said, we're not trying to compete, we're just trying to do our own thing, you guys got a funny way of showing it. But nonetheless... I think it's a great time to be a wrestling fan, and I'm really excited about um, what the future holds for All Elite Wrestling. Um, hopefully, this steps up the game of WWE as well as all other promotions too. You know, I want to see Ring of Honor flourish. I want to see New Japan flourish. I want to see the NWA flourish. You know what I mean? The NWA's been making a resurgence. I forgot to bring them up. Impact Wrestling, MLW. I want all these wrestling companies to flourish. More wrestling is better for everyone. You know what I mean? Um, and, and the more wrestling there is, there's more opportunities for guys out there in the business. So hopefully, um, you know, the, the, the resurgence of, um, I wouldn't say the Monday Night Wars era, but the era of wrestling where guys were coming and going from different organizations to different organizations. Um, I hope we kind of see that again because... It was always fun to see a, a talent debut. Be like, wait a minute, he was on that show a month ago. What the hell? Um, but I don't want it to turn into a war because when it turns into a war, then I think we'll get what we or what we got, you know, at the end, and that was, you know, WCW falling apart. And uh, you know, I don't want to see that because then we would have to live another eighteen years until another company, um, you know, gave the 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 winner of the war a run for their money. So yeah, that's where I stand when it comes to. Um, AEW and double or nothing. So, um, you know, I mentioned him earlier, John Moxley, 
Uh, had a very, 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 very controversial interview on Talk is Jericho. Just listened to it uh, earlier uh, this week. And, um, you know, very some very interesting stuff from him regarding um, his frustrations that, you know, led to his departure. A lot of it having to do with the creative process and his dealings with Vince McMahon. And, um, you know, Moxley, you know, recounting... Uh, several interactions with Vince where, you know, he didn't like certain creative um, ideas that were come up for that would, that they'd come up for his character. And Vince would look at him like, this is the greatest thing ever. And he was, you know, he didn't, he, he, you could just sense it in his voice that like he was waiting to get it all out and, and recount um, the things that led to his departure. And that it was like some sort of release for him to talk about it. Um, but a great story of a guy who, um, you know, had a strong following in WWE, made a good amount of money working for the company, was made into a big star. But as an artist and as a performer, um, I guess you could say he felt creatively stifled and he needed to um, move on and go somewhere else. And he's, you know, now part of All Elite Wrestling. He's got some dates with uh, New Japan. Um, I know he's going to be doing some stuff locally for, uh, you know, Northeast Wrestling out of Connecticut. Um, I know he's got a big match in August against uh, Pentagon at the Northeast Wrestling Show in Poughkeepsie, New York. Uh, I'm not saying I'm going to trek out for that one, but um, uh, he's, he's booked for, um, uh, who's he booked against? I believe he's booked against Joey Janela for the next AEW show, the Fighter Fest, I want to say. Um, I think he's got a match with uh, another AEW star by the name of Darby Allen uh, for another AEW show. I want to say maybe that's for the fight for the Fallen show. I could be wrong, but um, the, the 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 possibilities are endless for what the future holds for one John Moxley, formerly known as uh, Dean Ambrose. Uh, but you know, you guys should go check out that interview on Talk Is Jericho. Some really interesting stuff regarding his his interactions with creative and especially with Vince and just how he felt. Um, leading up to his departure, some really, really telling stuff. Um, and at the end of the day, uh, what I took from that interview was, was a performer that, you know, cares about his art and cares about his work. And, you know, his, his success is driven by his creative passion um, and, you know, his artistic ability to be able to um, make a difference Um to those that watch him perform, whether that's in wrestling, whether that's in movies or television, um, you know, this, he, this isn't money driven, uh, according to him. And I thought the interview was well done where, you know, he, he paid his respects and his gratitude to the WWE, but at the same time, you know, he, he let it be known that he was very frustrated with the creative process. Um, he even went as far as to say that he thought that the problem was Vince which a lot of fans have, have felt that Vince is the problem, that Vince is a 70-something-year-old man trying to um, get people to relate to things that he likes and not what a general population of the audience likes. And he felt that, you know, Ambrose, or should I say Moxley said it best. He goes, it, it's not necessarily Vince as it is the structure that he built around him, um, that that creative process sucks, that needs to be changed. And... Um, I wouldn't say I disagree with him, but, um, you know, that's one person's account of the situation. Uh, we'll see, um, you know, how that, you know, hopefully, hopefully some, some of the guys 
in upper management in WWE heard what he had to say and they, you know, we see some changes. Because I'll be honest with you, it's not been the greatest. I, f- I try to find the silver linings in some stuff. I talked about it earlier with my, my recap of Money in the Bank. But there's also some stuff where I'm just kind of like scratching my head. You know what I mean? Um, and I feel like the last few years has been that way. Um, they've had some stuff. They've had some opportunities to really build off some great stuff from a storyline standpoint. And for whatever reason, it just, I don't know. There's just some inconsistencies. And um, I don't give up on WWE. That's the first wrestling, you know, uh, organization I ever watched becoming a fan. But, um, you know, I'll be quite honest with you. There's times where I'm just kind of tuned out from it because it's just there's it's really uneventful. It's just kind of same old, same old. Um, I think the way wrestling um, is presented needs to change. You know what I mean? Um, And I think, you know, AEW is kind of starting that. But I think WWE can really capitalize on that if they just they, they take a look at some of the guys they have. They have too many guys. They have way too many guys in their roster. You know, this whole wild card thing with the brand extension. It's just, I don't know. It's just, I feel like they, they, I feel like WWE Creative um, and Vince McMahon suffer from a really bad case of ADD or ADHD where they just can't, they can't stick with something. They can't pay attention to something. They, they, they have to. They have to change things up. There's a lot of inconsistencies in the storytelling and then the booking. And, you know, there's there's guys that get red hot that they don't even touch, that they don't even use. And then there's other guys that the audience doesn't even care for that they're that they're they're using. And some of those choices that they make are I can get behind. But some of them, I'm just like, what the fuck? You know, but like, I'm not I'm not one of those that bashes WWE and think and thinks everything is the shits because I know guys that, you know, will find a reason to trash them any chance they get. Um, you know, I love all wrestling and I just want to see, you know, all these wrestling companies succeed and be, you know, great. And um, I think we're in a period of time as fans where, you know, that opportunity um, is on the horizon for a lot of companies to really flourish and succeed. And creatively, we could see some of the best wrestling out there. Um, even come this fall when SmackDown moves to Fox. So we'll see what happens there. But, um, yeah, the Moxley stuff on Jericho, talk is Jericho, go check it out. Um, and yeah, rounding out this, uh, this, um, uh, you know, this, this, this special, uh, current of current, uh, current affairs edition of kicking out at two. Um, this weekend coming up, NXT Takeover Twenty Five. Uh, I'm fortunate enough to be attending with uh, my good buddy Roberto Tito Martinez and a few of his crew um, at the uh, the Webster Bank Arena in Bridgeport, Connecticut. Uh, it's going to be a fun show. I really look forward to my first NXT show. I love NXT. I think it's the best brand in WWE. I think they have some of the best storylines. I think the, the the character development is 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 paced really well. Um, the show being an hour, you don't overexpose guys. Even if they put them at two hours, I still don't think they would overexpose guys. But I think um, NXT, you know, domestically in the United States, the original NXT is the best thing that WWE has, WWE has right now. Um, and certainly, uh, this card looks to be pretty, pretty good, pretty stacked. Um, I'm just going to give you a little preview of what I think of, you know, 
the matches and give you a quick prediction and we're gonna get out of here shortly um, let's start off with the fatal four-way tag team ladder match for the vacant NXT tag team titles you have undisputed era of Bobby Fish and Kyle O'Reilly going up against the Street Profits um, Oni Lorcan and uh, Danny Birch and the Forgotten Sons um, the the titles have been held up after the Viking Raiders, the War Raiders, whatever you want to call them. Um, they had, uh, they had uh, vacated the championships after they moved up to the main roster of Monday Night Raw. And um, William Regal announced this match as a fatal forward ladder match. I think this is going to be a lot of fun. Like I said, I love ladder matches. Um, I think this is an opportunity for um, NXT to establish a new tag team. Among the, among the ranks, and if I were to pick a winner, I'm going to go with the Street Profits. They've had some good matches in, um, in Evolve, Evolve Wrestling, uh, which is a somewhat of a feeder system now for NXT. You see some guys from NXT appear on Evolve, and some Evolve guys get tryouts with WWE through NXT. So um, Street Profits have had uh, a few matches. In fact, they were the Evolve uh, tag team champions at one point for a little while. So I feel like They've become very popular on NXT, and I think this is their opportunity to, to take the gold and be a focal point, a centerpiece of the NXT tag team division, and I think we're going to get some pretty good stuff from them. Um, so I'm going with uh, the Street Profits for the victory. Uh, moving on, we have the NXT Women's Championship as Io Shirai challenges Shayna Baszler. Um, I'm expecting this to be a really good match. I've not been the biggest Shayna Baszler fan, but she's improved over time. I've really enjoyed her stuff. I've enjoyed the fact that they added um, Jessamine Duke and Marina Shafir to that presentation, the other horsewomen. And, um, you know, Io Shirai, very talented performer, uh, probably had the best match at the Evolution pay-per-view with Tony Storm in the, the finals of the Mae Young Classic. Match of the night, in my opinion. Uh, I don't think that this match is going to disappoint. I don't think any match on this card is going to disappoint because NXT TakeOver doesn't disappoint. They top themselves every single show. Every TakeOver, they top themselves. And I don't think this show is going to be any different. Um, I can see Baszler picking up the victory. Um, I really don't see Baszler moving up to the main roster anytime soon, even though she's kind of dominated the women's division. Um, I still think that um, you know they, they don't really have much of a plan for her up there. And this little stable she has with Shafir and Jessamine Duke, I think is kind of breathing some new life into her character. So um, if I'm going to go with a victory, I'm going to give it to, I'm going to give it to Io Shirai. Okay. I'm going to give it to Io Shirai and I think we'll see more from her and Baszler. I think we'll see um, Baszler and her crew kind of stalk her and, 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 you know, try and get their revenge later on down the line with another opportunity at the NXT title. Maybe we'll see um, a, a, a Candice LeRae run in because um, she's had some issues with Baszler and uh, has had some uh, interactions with Io Shirai. So we'll see. Maybe Candice LeRae makes an appearance um, to save the day. Who knows? But um, I'm expecting this to be a damn good match. Like I said, Baszler's improved. Shirai's a great performer. And... Um, you know, the sky's the limit when it comes to these two. Uh, our next match, um, another member of the Undisputed Era in action, Roderick Strong against Matt Riddle. Um, should be a damn fun match. 
Um, you know, Riddle, I have had limited exposure to. I've seen some stuff he's done in the indies, but for the most part, uh, most of the stuff I've seen him do is in NXT. And I think um, against Roderick Strong, I think they're going to have a very stiff match. Strong reminds me a lot of um, Dean Malenko, but a little bit flashier, but the, in a good way in terms of his in-ring ability. And um, I think he can work very snug and very rough with a Matt Riddle, and I think Matt Riddle can give it right back to him. So uh, I, I'm, I'm, I'm going with this match as the sleeper match of the night. I really am. I think this match is going to really surprise some people between these two. Uh, so if I'm going to pick one, I'm going to say, I'm going to say, I'm going to go on a limb. I'm going to say Roderick Strong. I'm going to say Roderick Strong picks up the victory over Matt Riddle. Um, actually, no, I take that back. I take that back. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I take that back. Um, I'm going to say Matt Riddle. I'm going to say Matt Riddle because, um, you know, Strong hasn't really... I think something else is going to go down with Roderick Strong in NXT at some point later on down the line. And, um, you know, I'll just leave it at that. But I think Riddle, being is that he's fairly new, a couple months old, um, into NXT, um, he's had some pretty big, you know, matches with Velveteen Dream and uh, Cassius Ono. And, um, yeah, I think he's going to, I think he's going to do some, uh, s- some big things for them. I think he's going to be one of their next top, top stars so uh, i'm gonna go with uh matt riddle uh next match north american title match i'm gonna go on record and say this is gonna be the match of the night tyler breeze and velveteen dream um tyler breeze who was on the main roster um not really doing a whole lot he was tagging up with fandango as brizongo the fashion police fandango got hurt breeze was doing nothing once again apparently he had asked for his um he didn't ask for his release, but he asked to get moved to NXT, and they granted his request. So I'm I'm looking. I think we're going to see a revigor a re a revigorated, um, more passionate Tyler Breeze in this match with Velveteen Dream. And Velveteen Dream has just been killing it before he even won the NXT title, and he became a big part of the storylines and stuff he did with Aleister Black and Ricochet, even Matt Riddle. Um, you know, Velveteen Dream has been tearing it up, and uh, I think as much as I'd love to keep him in NXT because I think he could really, really, really flourish. I think there's still, I think there's still more for him to do in NXT. It wouldn't surprise me if he lost this match and he gets moved to the main roster. We see the early stages of him uh, getting moved to the main roster eventually after like SummerSlam. Um, but I'm going on record saying this is going to be the match of the night, and. Um, I'll even, I'll even pick Tyler Breeze to win the NXT North American Championship. Um, you know, Breeze coming back, coming off the main roster, getting a shot at this title. I feel like he's got to win. Um, Breeze, who was a former NXT standout, had some great matches with Jushin Liger, Sami Zayn, Tyson Kidd, Neville, Finn Balor. Um, I, thought this, I thought Breeze was going to be a big deal on the main roster i thought he was going to be a big you know part of the mid card you know an intercontinental united states champion figure and it didn't really work out for him but you know nxt is where nxt seems to fit him better and uh you know i think a north american title victory for tyler breeze could 
could really be a nice way to reintroduce him to that NXT audience. And in the same way that Bailey got that money in the bank and it really recharged her character, I think that can do the same thing for Tyler Breeze. And then we move on to the main event. Johnny Gargano versus Adam Cole. I love their match at the TakeOver in Brooklyn during WrestleMania weekend. I thought it was a fantastic match. Um, I think these two are not going to disappoint. Another match that's got potential to be match of the night, match of the year. But um, if I'm going to pick one, I'm going to go with I'm going to go with Johnny Gargano. I think Gargano is going to get the best of Adam Cole, and I think we're going to start to see the really the the I think we're going to see major steps moving forward to Adam Cole distancing himself from the undisputed era. It wouldn't surprise me if the undisputed era, like a Roderick Strong, got involved and cost him this opportunity again. But this time around. Adam Cole gets pushed out of Undisputed Era and becomes a babyface. Now, does this mean that these guys go up to the main roster? God, I hope not at this point because the main roster is a fucking mess. They bring way too many guys up there, don't have enough plans for them, and then they just get lost in the shuffle. We got a brand extension that's barely a brand extension anymore because they got a fucking wild card rule. Please, whatever you do, if you're listening WWE creative, Bruce Pritchard, whoever the fuck, please, 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 fucking please, don't put them on the main roster. Let Cole and the rest of the Undisputed Era continue doing what they're doing on NXT. Don't fuck it up, please. Okay? And that's that that covers it. That that covers the entire NXT takeover. I said what I needed to say about AEW's double or nothing and money in the bank. I hope you guys all enjoyed the show this week. Thank you all so very much for your patience. This show had to drop on Thursday because my real life got in the way. I hope you guys enjoyed the current affairs kind of format. Um, if you have, please let us know um, over on our social media, facebook.com forward slash kicking out of two, as well as our Twitter handle at kicking out two. Uh, shoot me a DM and just, you know, let me know what you thought, whether it was good or bad. I'd love to hear the feedback. I could take constructive criticism and maybe I'll do something again like this down the road. Who knows? But I'm going to stick with the uh, nostalgia, be, uh, you know, next week as we cover the return of our trading places series with the King of of the ring now i'm not talking about an individual king of the ring pay-per-view or even individual king of the ring tournaments i'm talking about the king of the ring award winners from 1993 to 2002 we're going to map out their trajectories of those final matches to determine who was the king so for instance 1993 saw brett the hitman Hart become king of the ring well what if what if it was Bam Bam Bigelow instead? How would have Bam Bam Bigelow fared as the king in 1993? Or what about 1997? Triple H took the throne. But what if Mankind, what if Mankind was to become the 1997 king of the ring instead of Triple H? Where would his path have taken him in 1997 in the WWF? We talk about all the King of the Ring Award winners from 93 to 2002. Flip the script, play a little role reversal, and see where they all land with King of the Ring trading places next week here on Kicking Out at 2. And don't forget to check us out this Saturday on the Retromania Pro Wrestling Podcast Network as Kobe Knight and I present to you 
marking out the day's weekend warriors where we cover WCW Saturday night and WWF superstars from May the 30th, 1992. The wrestling world was starting to go through a little bit of a change in 1992 as we were heading into the down years in professional wrestling. And we cover superstars and Saturday night from the spring and heading into the summer of 1992 on the WWE Network. You can check that out each and every Saturday on the Retromania Pro Wrestling Podcast Network, excuse me, because as they say, Saturdays are for wrestling. And with that being said, I think it's about that time that we put this show down for the three count. Thank you all for checking us out this week, and we will see you all next week.